0: Hi, my name is Michael Tuck and I am the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. If you would, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 6. If you're our guest, a couple of informative things that might help you. We're studying through the Gospel of John and we're at uh, chapter 6 this morning. And the other thing is that, uh, um, you know, I'm a little bit emotional this morning. I'm not sure why I didn't get enough sleep last night for one thing, but I'm a little bit more emotional than normal. Uh, on Sundays, my uh, my son died five months ago. Most of you know that, but maybe there's a guest who doesn't. And that's why I'm a little bit emotional this morning. So... Uh, I try not to be emotional at this desk, but it happens. It happens. I remember when I was in college... I would uh, get a chance to go home and visit my parents. My parents were missionaries, and so I returned to Montevideo, Uruguay on a particular visit. My parents were, my dad was a ham radio operator. If you don't know what ham radio is, it it was the precursor to the cell phone and to FaceTime and all of those kind of things, to the Wi-Fi. And the only way a missionary could could communicate with his family back home was uh, over amateur radio or ham radio. And so my father was a ham radio operator so that we could talk to our family back here in the states and so dad had set up an antenna on top of our home it was on a pole that was 18 feet tall some of you may remember when I first came here and we lived over there at the at the parsonage across the road over here I had a 60-foot tower that I could climb and I had my own ham radio antenna up there so I could talk to my parents and uh, so on this particular occasion though I had returned home and dad had his antenna up on that 18-foot pole and he wanted to put a TV antenna on top of that ham radio antenna And uh, so he had a 13-foot ladder and an 18-foot pole, and he put the 13-foot ladder up against the 18-foot pole, and the idea was somebody would climb the ladder and then would take the TV antenna on its pole and would lift it up and stick it in the pipe that held the other antenna. I guess you can get the picture, right? So he's got this one antenna, it was a big antenna, and then there was this littler, smaller antenna that was going to go up and go inside that pipe. And so, you know, I was the oldest son, and so I was voted in to do that. And so I climbed that 13-foot ladder, and I'm standing on the very top rung of that ladder. I'm six foot one, so I'm just just over top of the top of that. And uh, so they handed me up the, the, the TV antenna. And, you know, I'm not particularly strong, and it was, it was one of these where you have to raise it like this so all the way to the antennas on the end. And I remember it was all I could do to lift that antenna, but I did it. I lifted it up, straight up and down. And I remember when I passed that point where it, the weight of the antenna's not out there, but it's up here, and it becomes lighter. And I get it up, and I'm stretched, and I'm scared because I'm on a 13-foot ladder on an 18-foot pole. And I get it up there and I go to stick it in and it won't fit in that, uh, it won't fit in the pipe dad had mismeasured. And uh, I remember, I can pretty, it's funny, I can still remember this. My body becomes racked with convulsions. I think it's fear convulsions. I think it's, it's just, you know, all the adrenaline. And being up that high, but my dad had to hold the ladder because I was shaking so bad. He was afraid the ladder was going to come off. I ended, up dropping, I ended up dropping the antenna because just couldn't get it back down. And that story, I want to suggest to you this morning that that story presents a picture of how, how too often it is in our lives. We're we're facing something really big. We're tackling a big problem in our lives. and, And we give it our all. We give it every bit of strength we have. We give it all our ability. We give it our all only to find when we've given it our all that it doesn't fit, that it doesn't work. We've done everything we know to do and it just doesn't work. Remember the saying about, you know, some people, you know, work hard to climb the ladder of success only to find that it's leaning against the wrong wall. Some of you are probably facing obstacles in your life that are just really, really big obstacles. Bosses who don't do their jobs, employees who are slothful, Uh, your family life, maybe relationships between husbands and wives are breaking down. Maybe you have rebellious children in your home. You can't bring them under control. Maybe you have a friendship that's falling apart. Maybe you have a ministry that is encountering all kinds of obstacles and really from your perspective you're doing everything you can do or you've done everything you can do you've you've exhausted all your all your abilities what do you do now well, in the story that we're going to read this morning, it's a real familiar story. You know the story really well. But in this story, we're, we're going to look at Jesus take his disciples to a point where they have no resources to do what he asked them to do. And uh, he's asking them literally to do the impossible. And I think he's going to use this story to teach them. As a matter of fact, I know he's going to use this story to teach them because he says that. So we're going to look at that story. We're going to divide it into two parts. We're going to talk first about the test, and then we're going to talk about the teaching. So let's begin with the, the test. We find that in, in chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. So I'll begin reading John 6. After these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, or Tiberias. A large crowd followed him, because they saw the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. And then Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was near. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing what a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he said, this he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here uh, who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Now, In our our Gospels, there's four Gospels in your New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we we find these stories in different Gospels. And we find this story in a couple of the Gospels. And in Mark's Gospel, he adds some details that John does not record for us. For instance, he tells us that Jesus and his disciples are actually trying to get away They're trying to go on retreat. They have been on mission for so long. They have not been able to find a moment's rest for themselves. And so Jesus has told them, come on, let's get out of here and let's go find a place where we can just rest for a little while. But it doesn't work. As Jesus leaves, people are following him. John tells us they're following because they had seen the signs and he is not able to get alone. This is just kind of a side note tangent thought, but if, if I would, I'd like to share it nonetheless. And that is that sometimes God interrupts our plans, doesn't he? Sometimes we have plans of what we want to do and God puts a need before us and he asks us, will you serve yourself or will you serve others? Will you put the needs of others before yourself? Now, I'm not at all saying there's not a time for us to retreat and there's not a time for us to put our needs in front of others. I think there is and there are such times in our lives where we should put ourselves in front of others. But mostly, mostly God is asking us to to put others' needs in front of others our own. And here Jesus, you know, he, he's, he sees a need amongst his disciples for them to be alone. But he sets that aside for, for this, what he considers evidently to be a greater need. He says, it says in Mark's gospel, he was moved by compassion for them. The needs of the many in his mind evidently outweighed the needs of the few. Again, Mark adds some other details that John does not. They're in a desolate place. There is no town. There's no city nearby. There are no eateries. So he tests Philip, where are we going to buy food for all these people? Now one thing we need to realize, if you haven't already, is this is a very large crowd. There's 5,000 men, it says. Some people have estimated that there was 5,000 men, but if you count women and children... That this number didn't count them, they suggest. And so the number of this crowd may be as big as three times that of the 5,000 men. That it may have been as big as as 15,000 people. Now, verse 6 tells us pretty clearly that this is going to be a test. This is going to be a test for his disciples. Jesus says that. He knows what he's going to do. Or John said, Jesus knew what he was going to do. This was a test. So what is the test? What is the test that Jesus is bringing to his men? Well, I want to to suggest, and I think pretty clearly so, that Jesus is testing his disciples to see what they're going to do when they are faced with an insurmountable obstacle. The feeding of 5,000 or the feeding of 15,000. What are they going? Both of those are insurmountable obstacles, by the way. Fifteen is more than five, but these are in, this is an insurmountable obstacle as far as they're concerned. And so Jesus is testing them to see what are you going to do when you don't have within yourself the resources to take care of this. What are you going to do? Now, as I said earlier, you know, you may be facing obstacles in your life. There may be problems in your life where... You don't, feel like you, have the obst- you don't feel like you have the resources to overcome these obstacles. What are you supposed to do? Well, the disciples didn't pass the test. I think Jesus knew they weren't going to pass the test. But they didn't pass the test. But, but I, I think Jesus was going to use this nonetheless as a teachable moment for them. And I think it's a teachable moment for us as well. What do you do when you don't have the resources needed for what lies in front of you? What, what do you do? How do you handle them? I think at the root of what Jesus wanted to teach His disciples was perspective and attitude. And so that's what I'm going to suggest to you today is what God wants you to learn from this, that when you're facing a situation and it's, and it's way beyond your resources, what is the proper perspective and what is the proper attitude that will lead you to not losing your temple, temper, to not acquiring ulcers, to not dishonoring God, In the way that you handle this thing that's in front of you. So that brings us to the teaching. uh, The teaching we find in, in verses 7 through 14. I read a couple of extra verses a moment ago. But we find this in verses 7 through verse 14. Now look at verse 14, the last verse in this little, I think the last verse in this segment, the last verse that we're going to deal with this morning. Look at verse 14, it says, Therefore when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said to him, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. This event was a sign to the unbelievers, to those who did not believe what Jesus did that day in feeding these people. It became a sign to them, but it wasn't meant to be a sign to his disciples. It was that teachable moment that God was going to use in their life. And so what did he teach them? I, I, I want to suggest to you there's six, there's six principles or six, six uh, what, did I use, what did I say a minute ago? Perspectives. There's six perspectives here that we need to hold on to when facing problems that are beyond ourselves. Here's the first one. The first one is Jesus wants us to recognize, acknowledge, own the truth... That there are many things in our lives that we do not have the ability or the resources to take care of them in and of ourselves. I know that was a mouthful. Jesus wanted His disciples... To see that there are things that they're going to face in their life that are way, way beyond them. Look at verse 5. Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes, seeing what a large the crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This, this he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip being money conscious... Look at what he says, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, for everyone to receive a little. 200 denarii, a denarii, one denarii was a man's wage for the day. There's no food lions or farm fresh or anything like that around. One denarii is a basic salary for the day. Some have estimated its equivalence to be $55, so 200 times $55. Some have also suggested that they doubted the disciples even had a denarii on them. You know, what Philip is saying, money-wise, there is absolutely no way that we are going to be able to buy. So why did Jesus say, where are we going to buy food for these? Well, he tells us. He says because he wants them to say something. He wants them to acknowledge something. He wants them to own up to something. And that is that they have absolutely no ability to meet this need that Jesus has asked them to meet. I think all too often, and let me speak for myself, but I think I speak for many of you as well. We are so self-sufficient. We believe that we have within ourselves the ability to meet just about every need in our lives. And so we try to do that. We try to meet our needs. Let's be honest, though, if God had not created us the way he did, not given us the experiences that we have, had not had others invest in us the way that they have, then we would probably not be able to take care of anything in our lives. Imagine if you were someone raised in a, in a country and in a culture that's very different than ours. You would have very limited abilities to meet very, very few of your needs, but even as we are, there, there are many things in our lives that we can't control, that we can't fix, that, that, that we can't take care of. And the sooner that I learn that lesson, and the sooner that I own up to that, the sooner that I embrace that, that there's going to be a lot of things that I cannot fix. Well, that's the key, I think, to overcoming those, those obstacles in my life. Some of you all know my friend Dale Robertson. Dale Robertson is, is probably one of the most intelligent men I've ever known, probably one of the most capable men I've ever known. Uh, he was, I mean, I'm, I'm bragging on him here a little bit, but he was the youngest man to ever make supervisor for, for Virginia, Virginia Power, Dominion back then. And uh, so, so, so Dale was this um, really capable person. I'll never forget the day I went to his house And something had happened in his life that was outside of his control, that he could not control. And, and, I mean, he was weeping. And, I mean, he was weeping so hard. And this is what he said to me. He said, God had to take me to a place where I recognized that I could not fix this. I could not fix it why? Why did he have to take Dale there? Why does God have to take all of us there? Because as long as we think we are capable of fixing things, then we don't look to him. We don't look to him. Last week, my boys were helping me put siding on my house, and my son-in-law, Ethan, and I were up on the peak. there trying to get a piece to go in, and it would not go in. And y'all know my my son Ethan, he's on the ground, he starts singing, "Jesus, take the wheel." <laughs> take it from my hands, because I can't do this on my own. I'm letting go, and he's down there singing to us. And of course, my son Ethan's trying to be funny. But actually, I think that's exactly I think that's exactly what Jesus is trying to get them to see. That you can't. There's a lot of things in your life that you can't fix, that you can't take care of, that you 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 have got to look to me, and you've got to trust me. So let me ask you this morning: Are you facing such an obstacle in your life today, personally? Are you facing something like that that that's it's too big for you? If 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 there is, then listen. This this talk this morning is going to have something to say to you as far as what God desires you to do. Can I say one more thing about this before I move on? This is my longest point, so the rest of them will go very fast. But can I say one more thing about this point? You know, this is the the foundation of salvation, everyone. This is the basis of salvation. Because, see, as, as long as you think you're capable of somehow earning God's forgiveness or God's favor or God's whatever, as long as you think you've got it within you to earn it, you'll, you're never going to look to Him. I mean, the first step in coming to God is owning that I can't, I can't earn God's forgiveness. I can't earn God's love. I can't earn God's salvation from my death. I can't accomplish my, my own eternal life. I need Him To grant me this. And so the first first place, I mean, the the, the place where this is probably most needed anywhere is in our relationship with God himself. Rejecting my own ability and looking to him from whom I must gain it all. Number two, when you finally come to the place that you recognize that your resources are enough, or not enough, excuse me, here's the second thing. You have to look to Jesus for help. Verse 8. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two fish. But what are these for so many people? Now in verse 8, Andrew basically looks to Jesus for help. I know it doesn't say, Andrew says, Jesus help us. But that's what he's saying. He's taking these two, these two fish and these five loaves and he's saying to Jesus, Here's what we got. I don't see how this is going to help, but it's, this is what we've got. Philip's a lot like a lot of us, right? Uh, He's looking at his meager resources and he says, it just can't be done. I think even Andrew is looking at these meager resources and says it can't be done. But God does not ask us to look at our resources. He asks us to look to him and trust that he is able to do what we cannot. That his resources are bigger than mine. His resources are so much more than mine. Without God, it's impossible, the Bible says. But with God, all things are possible. One of my favorite choruses, and you can imagine we're probably going to sing it at the end, maybe. But one of my favorite choruses from years ago, choruses from years ago was this one. It says, He is able, he is able more than able to accomplish what concerns me today. He is able more than able to handle anything that comes my way. He is able more than able to do much more than I could ever dream, He is able more than able to make me what He wants me to be. Who's ever on the video up there. We're going to try to sing that at the end, so maybe you can be looking for that. This is what God expects and desires of us. And that is that when we recognize that we cannot, we look to Him because He can. We, we, we stop looking at what we have and, and we look to Him who is able to do so much more than we could ever hope for or imagine. Number three, the third thing we, He wants us to do is put whatever resources we have, whatever limited meager resources we have, He wants us to put those at the Lord's disposal. And that's what Andrew did. He brought the fish and the bread to Jesus and he says... I don't know how you can do anything with this. It seems so little. But here, this is what we have. This is all we have. And this is what God desires of us. He desires of us to whatever resources we have, though they're not enough to accomplish it, you know, bring our resources to Him and let Him multiply those resources. So how does this apply? Well, if, if I have a house, hey, if I have a car, if I have talents, if I have abilities of any kind, I say to Jesus, Jesus, here they are. Use these things to meet this problem. And we gladly give them to Him to use them in any way that He sees fit. I, I remember, y'all remember John Morgan. He spoke here one time, a long time ago. He was the, is, I guess is, I don't know if he's retired yet, but he he was the pastor of Sagemont Church out in Houston, Texas. And, and John tells the story, they... Um, in fact, let me just chase the rabbit for a second. You know, John is, is the reason I developed in my own heart this commitment that, that I felt like our church family should never borrow money. I mean, John taught the Scriptures, and, and I thought he was right that we should not borrow money as a church. And, and, and you guys all agreed, and so we've not done that. And we got that from John Morgan. That's where that came from. But anyway, they were building in their church. They were building one year, and they had this service on Sunday night where they were bringing, asking everyone to bring whatever gifts they were going to bring for this new building. And so they came that night, and, and it fell short. And John wasn't sure what to do. And he said, well, you know, we're just going to pray, and we're going to sing. And uh, this is a large church. It's, it's a lot larger than ours. And they're singing. And anyway, while, while they're there, there's this little boy that keeps standing up somewhere in the, in the meeting and waving his hand and waving his hand. And finally, John says, Johnny, do you want to say something? And Johnny said, yeah, Pastor John. He said, if my parents will take me home, I've got a piggy bank at home, and I've got some money in it, and I'll bring all the money I have in my piggy bank, and I'll give it to the building. And, uh, and John goes on to testify that God took that little boy's everything, which wasn't much, and he used it to break the hearts of lots of people in the church family, who then turned around and sacrificially gave, and they ended up meeting the need they had that night because that little boy gave his little meager resources to the Lord. Whatever we have, we need to give it to the Lord and let Him use it. Now, we acknowledge, listen, I hope you're following this. It's pretty logical. It's pretty step-by-step there are places and things and obstacles in my life. I cannot, I don't have it within me to meet those things, that obstacle. And, and then I come to the Lord and I say, Lord, I can't meet it. You, you take this. And he says, I will. And, and then I offer him, even though my meager resources won't do it, here they are. Use them in any way you see fit. Use them for your glory in any way you can. Number four, any way you will, I should say. Number four, obey implicitly the commands of Christ. Verse 10, Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in the number of about 5,000. How absurd it must have been for the disciples, although by now they really trusted Jesus. How absurd it must have been for them to go sit everybody down and wait for lunch on five loaves and two fish. Absurd, right? But they did it anyway. And the reason they did it is because they trusted the Lord. But but the point I'm getting at is that when when we're talking about things in our life, when God speaks to us and tells us something to do, when it comes to this big thing in front of me, I need to do it. Whatever, Whatever it is, I need to do what He tells me, no matter how absurd or how impossible it might seem in my life. I need to do it. So for instance, you you have a broken relationship with someone and you want to be reconciled. But uh, they did something to really hurt you. And though you truly wanted to be restored, your attempts to fix it have not been successful. So you come to the Lord and you say, Father, I really want to restore this friendship. I've tried, but I can't do it. So I'm putting this in your hands. My resources are not enough. I'm putting this in your hands. And I'll do whatever you want with whatever I have. Amen. So that's the first three points. And now we're at the fourth one. And so then you hear that voice of God in your heart. And the Spirit of God says to you, I want you to go and confess your wrong to them. Tell them you are sorry for what you did and the wrong, the wrong you did. And you ask them to forgive you. <laughs> and here all of a sudden, boy, you, the, the hair on the back of your neck stands up and you say, but God, their sin was greater than mine. And God, they started this. They sinned first. But the Holy Spirit still, still says to you, you go, you go. Seems absurd, doesn't it? You've tried already. Seems absurd. Seems impossible. Seems even wrong. But you obey. And what happens? What happens is a miracle. Immediately, they repent, own up to their own fault. They hug your neck with tears and say, I've missed you. And here's my point. You know, God is going to ask you in this overcoming obstacles, He's going to ask you to do things that you're not going to want to do. He's going to ask you to do things that are hard. He's going to ask you to do things that just don't seem right to you. But that's okay. You do them. You do what He tells you to do. On the job, you're expected to cheat or lie or do something God has said is wrong. God says, obey Him. You say, but if I obey you, Lord, I'm going to lose my job. I'll have to suffer. Well, then if you suffer, you suffer. I'm sorry, but you suffer. If any situation is to turn out for the glory of God, for for His glory and for your good, if that's to happen, then you must set your face to obey God no matter what, no matter how absurd it may seem to you. You need to follow the Lord. Number five, give thanks to God in advance for whatever the outcome of His provision. Verse 11. Jesus then took the loaves and having given thanks, he distributed to those who were seated likewise also of the fish as much as they wanted. Now in this case, it turned out different than the disciples thought it was going to turn out. They thought they were to go buy food. They didn't have to buy any food. It turned out so much better than they could probably ever have dreamed or imagined at that moment. It turned out better for them. They thought they were going to have to do all the They didn't know how it was going to happen, but it turned out great. Now, can I tell you, it will always, I think, turn out for the glory of God when we trust Him with our obstacles. It will always turn out to His glory. But can I tell you, it isn't always going to turn out the way we want it to turn out. It isn't always going to turn out the way we think is best. It isn't going to always turn out the way we want I think the results will bless the Lord. I think the results will honor God. And I think the results in the end will work in your heart. Greater trust for Jesus. Greater love for Jesus. It'll transform your life. So you may lose your job. You may lose your home. You may lose your friend. You may lose your family member as you obey the Lord. It will not be the first time, nor will it be the last, that such a thing will happen to people who follow Jesus. But the obstacle will be faced, and God will be glorified, and you will walk through that really hard thing. You'll walk through in obedience and here's what God is asking of you at the very get-go, I think. I think Jesus is modeling for us this spirit of gratefulness, even on the front end, when we don't know how it's going to turn out on the back end. In other words, even when I don't know exactly what God's going to do and what it's going to look like, Jesus is modeling for us gratefulness to God For his provision in this case. And God is asking you to do the same thing. So here you are facing this really tough obstacle in your life. And and he wants you to, to give thanks as you surrender your meager resources to him. And, and you follow him in obedience. He wants you up front to give thanks for whatever he's going to do. Can I say this, whether it turns out good or turns out bad as far as your estimation goes? This is the will of God for you that in all things you give thanks. In all things you give thanks. Number six, and finally, on the other side, on the other side, be sure to see the hand of God. On the other side, on the front side, give thanks, but on the other side, be sure to see the hand of God. Verse 12. When they were filled, that is, when they were filled eating, he said to his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments so that nothing will be lost. It's amazing to me that they ate so much. I mean, this, this is not our culture. I mean, this is not the, the throwaway culture of our world, right? There's, people are so full, they're leaving food. They're not eating food. And they, they collect it. So they gathered them up, the leftovers, and they filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. And therefore, when the people saw the sign which he had performed, they said, this is truly the prophet who is to come to the world. So maybe Jesus just had this thing about littering, right? And he just didn't want them to litter. But I don't think so. I think Jesus had them collect the loaves, the leftover heels of bread and stuff that people didn't eat. I think he had them it because he wanted them to see what God had done. He wanted them to see what God had done. And, and, and the lost people, the people who weren't followers of Jesus at this point, in verse 14 it says, When they saw this... Well, I guess it's it's talking about the whole thing, right? The feeding of the 5,000 and the 12 baskets left over. When when they saw this, they said, Truly, this guy is the prophet who is to come into the world. Truly, this, this is it. It's so easy on the other side to forget what God has done. I'm telling you. It's so easy to walk through hard things in our life, and then when we're on the other side of them, you, you, don't, you don't even, you forget what you, just had to, what you just walked through and how God saw you through that or what God did to get you through that. You know, I had a great blessing this week, and, and that is a friend of mine. His name is Warren Van Dolsen. Warren and I were third and fourth grade buddies. Actually, you know, I'm not sure we were all through grade school together, friends. And, and you know, he was a missionary kid and I was as well. Hadn't seen him since uh, the late 1990s. And, uh, but this week he called me and we got together and, uh, and had supper together and spent some time together. And uh, he came to my house for dinner. And we were sitting in my house. He said this to me. He said, you didn't live here last time I came here. And that was uh, just, just over 20 years ago. I had just right around 20 years ago. But we had, we had lived in that exact same place. But over the last 20 years, I built my house. I lived in a trailer when he had been there before. And so when he came into my house, he didn't recognize it as the exact same place it had been. And so I recounted the story of how, piece by piece and night by night, you know, I was able to to build my house. You know, and as I told him the story, two things happened to me. One is I had this tremendous sense of gratefulness to God for allowing Ann and me to to build that home over the years. But also, I had this sense that I had forgotten what God had done. I needed Warren to come in and remind me of what God had done. It's really easy for us to get through difficult things, things that we don't have resources for, things that we think, I, I, I can't do this. But we turn to Jesus and we trust in him and we, we give him our meager resources and we thank him. It's, it's easy to get through it on the other side and then forget what God did. And I, and I think Jesus is trying to say to his disciples, when God sees you through, don't ever forget. Don't ever forget. Collect the 12 baskets so you'll remember. Remember? So practically, how do I live all this out? What, what does this mean practically to me? Uh, there's there's nothing really. There's not a big to do here. I, I think, like I said at the beginning, I think this has a lot to do with perspective and attitude more than anything else. But but how do I live it out? I think here's the answer. The answer is, is prayer. That's how I live these six these six attitudes, these six perspectives out. I, I live them out in prayer. So I pray, and so when I'm facing. I think we should do this when we're facing anything. But let's, let's say we... You know, there's a lot of things that I can take care of on my own. And I think God made me to take care of things on my own. But there's an awful lot of things I cannot take care of on my own. And when I can't, I say to the Lord in prayer, God, I can't do this. It's too big for me. It's too big for me. And it's, and it's too much. So I commit this to you because you are big enough And then I say, thank you, Father, for whatever you're going to do in my life. In this situation, whatever you're going to do, I thank you in advance and I know it'll be right. And then I give him my resources. Whatever I have, my heart, my attitude, my money, my whatever, I just give it to him and let him take care of it. And I trust him all along giving him thanks. I think you live out these six things with a heart of prayer, a perspective of prayer. And that's what I'm challenging you to this morning. What obstacle are you facing today? Seriously, what obstacle are you facing that if you're honest, you're like, man, I am, uh, my bucket's empty. I, I, don't, I don't have any more to give. I have no resources for this. Whatever it is, then, then how about just doing what, what I've been saying? What about just bowing your head right now and saying, "Lord, I am incapable of dealing with this. I need Your help, and I'm looking to You." So let's bow our heads, and I'd like to just ask you to do that. Just you, you know, God's so great, God's so big. I mean, I mean He can deal with all of us at one time. This is just a personal thing between you and Him. But do you have do you have such a thing this morning in your life that? You need to say, Lord, I surrender. I can't do this. I don't have the resources. I want to look to you to help me. It can be. Um, it can be just. It can be an emotional thing. It can be a. Um, it can be an actual specific money thing. I think it can be. I don't know what it could be. But you know what it might be. So, you and God, you just talk for a minute. thank you so much for listening this week if you have any questions you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at Bacon'sCastle.com also check out our website at Bacon'sCastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing here locally in Surrey be blessed